And uh, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, our favorite part, the stories. I'm your host, Fred. Well, for most of us, it's uh, cold outside, there is snow on the ground, there's a library of about a dozen songs in the commercial radio. They're going to continue pounding those songs in our heads until we either jump out a window or get in the spirit. Uh, We've got gaudy Christmas lights, inflatable Santa Clauses. You know the deal. It's Christmas time. Uh, Today we reluctantly concede to the topic of holiday programming here on the show with an excellent monologue of one woman's life after yet another year preparing for Christmas. Uh, This was produced by a relatively new but completely awesome group, the UK's Wireless Radio Theatre Company. Uh, They do a whole range of uh, pieces by uh, artists um, from across uh, the UK, Um, diverse stories, uh, drama, comedy, stories like the one you're about to hear today. And this one, uh, since it fit the theme, uh, we will feature it now. We also hope to have them again on soon in the new year. Uh, But today's story uh, was written by Fizz Marcus. It stars the author... And I hope you enjoy Waiting for Father Christmas. This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. Just managed to reach the chimney. I should be able to hold myself up. Provided these bloody tiles don't Oh, sod it! Oh, well, I told David we needed to get someone to look at this roof. Uh, oh, oh, that's it! Now, if I can tuck myself into this gap here, I should be able to lean back against the chimney. December, and I suppose the higher you get, the colder it gets. You can see for miles. I bet this is what it feels like to be God, if he exists. Come on, Ellen, don't start going all philosophical. Get that cushion out and get sat down before you fall off the bloody roof. Oh, oh, that's better. Oh, I knew I should have carried on with keep fit. I bet Sylvia Goodall would have managed this with no trouble. You see, Ellen, I think we over forties owe it to ourselves to keep in shape. I believe it shows a weakness of mind to let yourself go. There's really no excuse. Anyone can look good with a bit of effort. Oh, there we were in the health club after the exercise class. She's sipping carrot juice, waxing lyrical about colonic irrigation and the Alexander technique. And I'm nibbling on a wholemeal lettuce sandwich, wondering if I've worked off enough calories to buy an apple donut on the way home. Didn't last long. <laughs> I don't mean the apple donut. Not that that did either. I mean the keep fit lark. Oh. There's something unbelievably depressing 
about a group of middle-aged women determinedly wobbling their way through a series of exercises in the vain hope that it's going to change their lives. <laughs> Some bloody hope. Why bother? I don't think David would notice if I turned anorexic. Not that there's much chance of that. When I was 18, if I felt low, I'd go and buy a pair of knickers. Now, I go and buy a cake. <laughs> oh, I reckon I could be up here quite a while. Well, it's all done. The presents are wrapped, such as they are. I'm afraid I've run out of inspiration this year. I suppose a pair of boxer shorts, some tartan handkerchiefs and a red sweatshirt for David is about as unoriginal as you can get. Unless you count the HMV tokens for Peter and the boots vouchers for Lizzie. I suppose if I was Sylvia Goodall, I'd have gone up to town and found the most amazing presents. But knowing me, that had been the wrong size or the wrong colour. The thought of struggling down Oxford Street laden with parcels, feeling like Mr Blobby on a bad day, was just too much. Why is it all such a trial? You know, if an alien had landed in a supermarket yesterday, I reckon they would have thought they were witnessing Armageddon. Thank God I got out alive and without actually murdering anybody. Although the small child with a harmonica stuck in its mouth came fairly close, as did that pensioner who was about to swipe the last deluxe connoisseur pudding. Never imagined there'd be such mayhem. Not now they're open twenty-four hours. Still, who in their right mind wants to be whizzing round with a trolley at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> you guess. Sylvia bloody Goodall. Ellen, it was absolutely fantastic. Not a soul in the place, no queues. I'd never shop at any other time bumped into her at home base as I was stuffing the tree into the boot of the car. Oh, what a shame. You've gone artificial this year. I always get the ones with roots, but not one of those non-drop jobbies. <laughs> I think that's all part of Christmas, really. Finding the needles months later when you're hoovering brings it all back. Thank you, Sylvia. Who needs reminding? I have tried with the decorations, though. Bought some tartan bows. We'd had those tree ornaments since the kids were tiny. They were looking a bit shabby. Not sure why I bothered. David didn't notice the difference. I shouldn't think that the kids will. Pfft. Kids. They're not kids anymore. Paul's 19 now. Retaking his A-levels. And Lizzie will be 22 next year. We don't see much of her, though she's only working in London. She's driving down tomorrow just for lunch. I asked her if she'd stay over. I can't, Mum, she said. I, I don't mind. She's got her own life to lead. I'll always remember one year. It was the year we had all that snow. Lizzie must have been about three She'd left out the mince pie and the sherry and the carrot for Rudolph and hung up her stocking. 
and I tucked her up into bed. Peter was teething and had grizzled all day. I was dead on my feet and crawled into bed myself soon after. I woke up about two o'clock and heard a noise. I thought it was Peter, but then I realised it was coming from downstairs. So I slipped out of bed and crept down the stairs. The door to the sitting room was ajar. The curtains were open, and the night was so clear you could see the moon and the stars. Not like tonight. There was Lizzie, wearing a pale blue dressing gown, bare feet sticking out, kneeling on a chair she dragged to the window, nose pressed up against the window pane. It was so, so perfect, so peaceful. <laughs> it all sounds stupid now. After all, it was only a three-year-old looking out of the window in the middle of the night. What are you doing, Lizzie? She turned and looked at me. I is waiting for Father Christmas, of course. She really meant it. Well, at three, anything's possible, so why not at 49? Oh, for heaven's sake, Helen, don't be so daft. I'm like a bloody fountain at the moment. Anything sets me off. I never used to be like this. What was I talking about? Oh, yes. Lizzie's staying over. As I said, I, I don't blame her. Not sure I'd be here if I had any choice. I expect she's got loads of parties to go to. We haven't had any invitations apart from the usual Boxing Day wake at Sylvia and Ronald Goodall's. I did suggest to David that we gave it a miss this year. Why are you so antisocial? Don't you think I might like to get out and see people? He's right. He doesn't have much of a social life these days. He's either working, sleeping or commuting. Occasionally all three together. I think there must be something wrong with me. It's a dreadful thing to say, but... I don't really like people anymore. I don't, I don't mean that I hate them, I just... I don't know. It was different when the kids were young. You met people through them and there was always something to talk about. When should you put them on solids? Were they potty trained? Should they be reading? Which school? Boyfriends? Girlfriends? Sex? Were they on drugs? And now? Well, I feel as if I've jumped off the train. Oh, it's still rattling along. When's the wedding? Was it a boy or a girl? How are the grandchildren? But somehow it all seems so pointless. And it's getting scary, too. When are you retiring? Where are you retiring to? Retiring? I don't feel as if I've got started. What have I done? What am I doing? There's a whole world that I've never seen. 
and it all seems to be closing in and shutting down, and all that will be left is David and me sitting looking at each other across the kitchen table. I don't want to drink Ronald Goodall's lukewarm Bulgarian Chardonnay or eat Sylvia's low-cal cocktail snacks in their tastefully decorated sitting room, dressed in my black velvet skirt and red satin shirt that I've worn every year since bloody time began, but probably won't even be able to get into this year because I've put on so much sodding weight. Oh, come on, Ellen. I haven't felt like this since... since Mum died. At least I had a reason, then. I know what she'd say to me if she could see me. Pull yourself together, Ellen. There's folk a lot worse off than you. And she'd be right. I've just got to snap out of it. Maybe David isn't the most dynamic husband ever, but then I'm hardly the most dynamic wife. And after 27 years of marriage, what do you expect? At least we're still together, which is more than can be said for lots of couples. What do they say in the magazines? Join a gym. Find a new interest. Do some voluntary work. Have an affair. <laughs> an affair. Oh, oh, my kidding. I can't imagine any man lusting after my body. Stretch marks, cellulite and spare tyres. Well, it's hardly the stuff men dream of. Besides, I'm a dreadful liar. I'd never get away with it. Oh, and just think of the palaver. Plucking me eyebrows, shaving me legs, trussing myself up in sexy underwear. Oh, I haven't got the energy. The effort of making the bed is bad enough. If I'm honest, I'm delighted that we've had no invitations to parties this year. People are cutting back. Nobody's job's safe, as David keeps on reminding me. Sometimes I agree with Peter. What's the point of taking exams and getting qualifications when there's no guarantee of a decent job at the end of it? David gets furious. Says if he doesn't get his A-levels this time round, that's it. He's out. They hardly speak these days. Not that Peter says that much to me. He's either out or shut in his bedroom with his music going all hours. Drives David mad. Turn that bloody racket down. <laughs> Can't say I'm all that keen on it. Bangy music, I call it. Not like the 60s or even the 70s. <gasps> what happened to All You Need Is Love and Nights in White Satin? Where's it all gone? Oh, suppose I'm Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Can't see any stars. Or maybe Eleanor Rigby. When you're young, you never think about getting old. I know people who've gone into a terminal decline just because they've hit 30. Never really bothered me until now. Even turning 40 was no big deal. But somehow 50's different. I suppose it's because you know that whatever lies ahead, you're pretty certain to be over halfway through your life. And unfortunately, death is not one of those things you can put off, like cleaning the cooker or doing the weekly supermarket shop. And you can't really choose when it happens. 
might be quite nice if you could. Imagine sitting down like you do with a holiday brochure and deciding, yes, first week in June, that'll be fine. You'd have time to sort yourself out, plan the funeral, send out invitations, cancel the milk and the papers. Suppose there's always suicide. But then you'd probably be too depressed to organise anything. It's the unexpectedness that worries me. And the older I get, the more it seems to be happening to people I know. People of my age. The chap who works with David dropped dead in the office last week from a heart attack. Don't imagine he'd have wanted to spend his last day commuting on the 7.45 if he'd known what was in store for him. Or maybe he would. It was fairly boring. Oh, seriously, though. I do tend to see death lurking round every corner these days. I mean, every time Peter takes the car out, it seems to me a minor miracle that he actually gets back alive. I lie awake until I hear him come in. David thinks I'm mad. What can you actually do? If there's been an accident, we'd hear soon enough. Suppose he's right. The first time I remember being affected by someone dying was when I heard that John Lennon had been shot. I was in the kitchen mushing potatoes. It wasn't as if I was that big a fan. It was just that it seemed like the end of something. I've never been that keen on mashed potatoes since then. <laughs> Stupid, really. Well, it'll be roast potatoes tomorrow. There'll be David, David's mother, Betty, Lizzie, Peter and me. I'm aiming to eat at two or thereabouts. David has to pick Betty up from the nursing home and she doesn't like a late lunch. Even two's pushing it. But I'm not getting up at the crack of dawn to shove a turkey in the oven just for her. I know, I shouldn't feel like that, but I do. I did try, for years. But I was never going to be what she wanted. Oh, she made that quite clear from the start. I always had such high hopes for David. You're a typist, I understand. Oh. David's brother's wife is a teacher. David didn't say a word, just sipped his tea. David's dad winked at me. Dear Harry, if there's any justice, he'll be up there with the angels. Now it's David who has to pander to her every whim. And he does. Rings her every night and listens to the endless stream of complaints. The food is terrible, the other residents are senile, the staff are incompetent, the place is filthy. It's all rubbish, of course. It's like a first-class hotel. I wouldn't care. She was the one who chose it. Wouldn't look at the laurels, which is two minutes down the road. Far too common for Betty. It had to be Eastbury Manor. A Thirty-mile round trip. You know, that nursing home costs more per week than we've ever spent on a fortnight's holiday. Still... She can afford it. Oh, she's not short of a bob or two. Not that you'd know. I expect it'll be a pair of tights for me again this year. There's nothing wrong with her, but she won't do a thing for herself. Just sits in her chair and expects everyone to dance round her, and not a word of thanks. I'm terrified they'll chuck her out. 
Maybe that's all part of the master plan. She keeps on dropping hints that once David leaves, we'll have a spare room. God help us. I tell you, if she moves in, I move out. Well, it's either that or... What's the word for murdering your mother-in-law? Matry-in-law side? No, that doesn't sound right. Well, whatever. I reckon I'd be driven to it. You know, it's quite nice up here. For the first time in my life, I can do what I want and say what I want. I'm me. Ellen! I don't have to worry about whether Peter's working or what to make for supper or whether David has a clean shirt. I don't care. And it doesn't matter. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. T.S. Eliot. The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. I did it for A-level. <laughs> Funny. I can remember that from all those years ago. And yet I forget where I put the car keys. Isn't that what they say about Alzheimer's patients? They can remember events from years ago but can't remember what they had for breakfast. Maybe I'm in the early stages of Alzheimer's. I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. I remember thinking how sad that was. And now, if I'm honest, that's just what I've done. Measured out my life with coffee spoons. I had such big ideas at 17. I was going to university. Anything was possible. Then I met David. He'd just graduated and was back home doing his articles with a firm of local solicitors. I fell in love. I thought I did. Turned down the university place and took a shorthand and typing course. It seemed the right thing to do. At the time. Two years later we got married. Oh. What's the point? It was my choice. Nobody forced me. <laughs> I could have ended up a lonely, educated, middle-aged spinster with only a cat for company. Instead of a lonely, middle-aged, undereducated housewife with only a cat for company. Face it, Ellen, it could have been a lot worse. Oh, wonder what time it is. Mm, half ten. I think I'll write out my list. Mm. Okay. Mm. Dear Father Christmas, I know that you are very busy and leaving this letter until Christmas Eve is not going to give you a lot of time. But I'm sure that you will do your best. I would like the magic back. I used to have it, but somehow over the years it's disappeared. 
I promise that I will use it this time before it's too late. Thank you in advance. Love, Ellen. Father Christmas. There. Mince pie, glass of sherry, and a carrot for Rudolph. Ah, that's done. David should be home any minute now. He was having a drink with Ronald Goodall at the Red Lion. I wonder if I'll be able to see him from up here. Well, he won't worry. I've left him a note. Dear David, there's some quiche in the fridge if you feel peckish, and mince pies in the tin. Don't bother waiting up for me. I could be quite a while. You see, I'm waiting for Father Christmas. Love, E. Oh, yes. That's why I'm up here. I is waiting for Father Christmas, of course. I'm Waiting for Father Christmas was written and performed by Fizz Marcus at Quince Studios with Matt Walters for the Wireless Theatre Company. And that was Waiting for Father Christmas, an introspective Christmas story by the Wireless Theatre Company, wirelesstheatrecompany.co.uk, spelled as the Brits may do, theatre, R-E. Uh, and they have plenty more stories there at that website, uh, all of excellent quality and incredible range of subject matter from doomed nuclear power stations to intense drama between people placed in all kinds of bizarre and common situations, uh, all free to download at wirelesstheatercompany.co.uk, theater R-E. And I do hope to have them again on the show soon. They are absolutely wonderful, great stories there. Uh, do hope you check it out. And next week, well, Christmas will be under siege. It's a uh, Dakota Ring Theater uh, making their uh, debut here on the show. Now, many of you who listen to lots of other podcasts, I'm sure, are well, well aware of uh, Blackjack Justice and the Red Panda. The Red Panda will be gracing us uh, next week. It's uh, 1930s Toronto. This one's called Tis the Season. It's a uh, bit of an ode to uh, Will Eisner and the classic Christmas stories um, that were written for the spirit. And uh, it features some rhyming couplets and a man in red on the rooftops who ain't Saint Nick, as the uh, debut goes. We'll also have uh, Greg Taylor on the phone soon to talk about um, what it's like to write his stories and uh, what was uh, went into this particularly excellent uh, feature, which is Christmas, but not uh, your typical Christmas story. And that's the kind of thing that we're going to feature here on the remainder of the month of December here on Radio Drama Revival. And uh, if you can't wait that long, recall, you can always check up on our previous episodes at the podcast and blog, www.radiodramarevival.com. You can read more audio theater news, reviews, and discussion, as well as subscribe to the weekly show. And if you prefer, remember, you can check us out on the iTunes store, do a search for Radio Drama Revival. And that wraps it up for this week's show. Uh, Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.